fans and welcome to another edition of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host Dave Holcomb. This is the second episode of the Young Season 2 of our show. The top story of this week is again Aaron Hernandez uh, being charged with the murder of a semi-pro football player. Uh, But we're going to stay away from that story as much as possible in today's episode. I figure that most people um, have already uh, heard the story, know um, the basic premise of it. So um, we're going to move on to other football news, but I did want to mention uh, Aaron Hernandez at the top of our show because it was such a big story in the last uh, 7 to 10 days. But moving on to um, some other players not involved in the NFL anymore, some retired players, uh, some NFL greats. Uh, Warren Sapp uh, in the media the last week came out and uh, supported his uh, ex-teammate, um, from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, and saying that Simeon Rice, uh, a player that he played with for a long time on defense, was a, quote, was a better pass rusher than Michael Strahan any day of the week and twice on Sunday. So that was um, a comment um, being made that not only put Rice on a pedestal for Sapp, um, but also was a huge dig at... Um, in my opinion, the future Hall of Famer, Michael Strahan. I think most people would would say that Michael Strahan is going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, There's a couple different uh, ways we can go at this story, um, and I guess I should continue on with the story and say that uh, Tiki Barber, a teammate of Michael Strahan's, came out um, a couple days later and called Warren an idiot. Uh, I quote... Barber's response, he just wants to say things to be idiotic. I played with Stray, Michael Strahan, for my whole career. He is the greatest of the great. Um, once again, there's there's a, several different wrinkles to the story. This is why I find it so intriguing. First of all, I I personally, I in my opinion, I believe Michael Strahan was a better player than Simeon Rice. I, I believe both of them belong in the Hall of Fame. And... Um, to Warren's credit, I think the whole point that uh, Sapp wanted to make in coming out and making such a statement like this was to say, hey, this guy that I played with was one of the best the game ever saw at defensive end. And I think Warren makes that point um, very clear. And in a way, he makes a somewhat outrageous statement um, that could you know he could lose credit for um, you know as an analyst or as a as just as a football player or, or um, um, lose a little bit credibility with what he says by making some of these outrageous statements? It's not too much of an outrageous statement that that would happen immediately, um, but I think his ultimate goal was to call attention to Simeon Rice's career, a guy that you know a lot of people I think quite frankly, probably underrated for his day. Eight seasons for Rice where he had double-digit sacks, um, and Strahan 
only six. Now, Strahan had some massive years where in, in 2001 he got 22 and a half sacks, led the league, broke the record for sacks in a season, and then again in 2003, 18 and a half sacks, led the league. So it, it's tougher. It's tough to judge because Strahan has some some really big years, uh, and overall Strahan has more sacks in his career with 141 and a half, and um, Rice finished with 122. For Strahan, four All-Pros, seven Pro Bowls, and for Rice, just the one All-Pro and three Pro Bowls. So just running off a couple numbers besides the eight seasons of 10-digit sacks or more, um, or t- 10 sacks or more, double-digit sacks, excuse me, um, that's really the only category that Rice beat Strahan at, but, but over a course of a whole career, Strahan had more sacks. Uh, so it, it's tough, and, and then you could you can also say Strahan had bigger seasons as well. So I think if you look at the stats, Strahan has a better uh, accumul- accumulation of stats, and he also has the bigger seasons. With, uh, with Rice never led the league in sacks, Strahan did it twice and set a record, a new record for sacks. So for, for Sapp to come out and say this is... Uh, I started out the show saying it wasn't absurd, but maybe borderline absurd. But I do think that Rice should get into the Hall of Fame. Um, Strahan definitely will. I'm a little surprising that Strahan wasn't a first ballot. Uh, Sapp, of course, was a first ballot. He'll get into the Hall of Fame um, later this summer. So it, we're kind of um, you know splitting hairs a little bit here um, in saying who is better. Now, I, I'd love to hear who you think was better. You can tweet at me, DM. H-O-L-C-O-M-B, or send me an email. I have a brand new Gmail account, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. Who was better, Simeon Rice or Michael Strahan? Now we can go on to talk about Tiki Barber's response. Now, Barber, for me, not one of my favorite players to listen to um, post his retirement. First of all, I think the way Tiki retired was completely um, the wrong way to go. If uh, every if if people remember, I'm sure Giant fans remember um, back in 2006, uh, the Giants had a pretty good start to that season. Um, and uh, midway through the year, Tiki Barber came out and said that this would be his last year. He was having one of the best seasons of his career, um, and he just re- kind of randomly came out during the season. I think I believe it was in the month of October, if I remember my stories correctly, uh, and said, "This is my last year." This is it. Uh, and this was, remember, this was before Eli Manning was Eli Manning, before he was a two-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time Super Bowl champion. Um, this was a young Giants team that, um, with a young quarterback that had a lot of pressure on him in Eli Manning. And uh, this put even more pressure on the Giants. And I just completely thought that that was a completely wrong um, thing to do for your teammates, to come out and say you're retiring uh, in the middle of a season. And Tiki ended up having a great finish to that, that season. He got the Giants into the playoffs at around 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7. and seven. I think it was 8-8. Eight and eight. And um, they ended up losing the first uh, playoff game to the Philadelphia Eagles at home. Uh, so that, that was a big loss for them. And, and to a backup quarterback, Jeff Garcia was playing in that game for the Eagles. So th- And that was Barber's last game. Now, we, we all remember that the Giants went on to win the Super Bowl the following year without Tiki Barber. So the Giants did all right without him. 
uh, and then one again a, a few years later. For Barber, he's a guy that's really gone downhill in his personal life. He had issues with his wife um, and reportedly cheating on her with um, a, a fellow uh, person, a fellow broadcaster. Uh, if Hopefully I'm getting all those stories correctly. But um, so to sum it up, I'm not a huge Tiki Barber fan. So uh, of all the people that we're discussing here, um, I'm not going to support or I have a hard t- harder time supporting what Tiki Barber has to say. But I think he has a point. And you know what? It was kind of nice for him to come out and support a, a fellow teammate. It actually was one of the more s- selfless things that uh, Tiki Barber has done really in the second half of his career, uh, after post-career and maybe the second half of his career. So it was nice for him to show a little bit of humility. And um, I, I agree with him personally, yes. Michael Strahan, to me, was better than Simeon Rice. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with some more top news from the last week. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host Dave Holcomb. We're going to move into some stories that actually was covered on this other podcast called The Casual Heroes, available at thecasualheroes.com. I was lucky enough to guest star in that over the last week. Uh, Very nice crew over there. Um, They treated me very well. So um, I would recommend checking out that podcast. And uh, we're going to move on to a couple stories we covered in last week's show on, on Casual Heroes. Uh, first of all, Chip Kelly. Um, this is also a story that I wrote last week on Football Nation um, with Chip Kelly moving to uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and the NCAA bringing on their sanctions against uh, the Oregon Ducks last week. Can't really call them sanctions. The 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 punishment really wasn't that severe. A few scholarships were lost, but um, they can appear in a bowl this season. So not, n- no huge um, punishment from the NCAA for the Ducks. Um, but the question for these coaches, as it continues to happen uh, again and again for, for players and coaches that um, violate NCAA rules and then move on to the NFL before they can uh, really uh, serve their punishment. Uh, the question now is, can Chip Kelly or should the NFL um, force Chip Kelly to sit out a couple games like they did with Terrell Pryor and um, Jim Trestle, as some people may not remember. Terrell Pryor actually had to enter the supplemental draft a few years ago um, after the huge uh, scandal in at, at Ohio State with uh, the players and, and their memorabilia. Uh, and then Jim Trestle actually got fired from Ohio State, uh, was hired by the Indianapolis Colts as a replay coach, and uh, he ended up having to sit out uh, the first five games of the season before he could start coaching uh, or running the replay for the Colts because of uh, his um, involvement with uh, the Ohio State scandal. 
One thing that I do want to say that is a little different than um, the situation with Ohio State, Pryor, and Trestle is that crime was a lot more severe than the recruiting violations by the Oregon Ducks. So ultimately, I do think that the NFL does not have to suspend Chip Kelly because um, the crime was not as severe. Now, I don't like that the NFL set a pretty strong uh, precedence um, with the Pryor and Trestle uh, situation. And now, I, I think the NFL thought that it was going to be a, you know, a one-case thing, um, or, uh, happens once in a blue moon. Well, just two years later, we have a very similar situation, and um, they're not doing anything about it. So I, I do think it's worth discussing. I've gotten a few comments um, on the, the article that I wrote last week. I encourage you to continue to write those comments on the article or, or tweet at me, DM. H-O-L-C-O-M-B. Send me an email, D-M-H-O-L. Oh, excuse me, my new email is holcombmdavid at gmail.com. That was the, I was starting to give you the old one. But um, I do think that Kelly, um, if he did get suspended by the NFL for a game or two, I wouldn't disagree with it. I really wouldn't. And I, I can see why they wouldn't. Um, some some uh, of the comments that I've I've heard from people is it's a different situation because Trestle was a, a replay video coordinator while um, Chip Kelly is the head coach so that maybe that is affecting the NFL's ultimate decision it really shouldn't it really shouldn't matter what position the coach is in if a, if a rule is violated then it needs to be addressed um, through a punishment but um, personally. We're going to end on this note. I do not think the NFL should be serving as a second law to NCAA rules. I think when an NCAA NCAA rule is violated, the NCAA has the right to, to hand out a punishment, but the NFL does not have that right to enforce that punishment. And I, that is why I am so fickle or, or maybe um, go back and forth on this story because ultimately I do not think Kelly should be suspended. I do not think the NFL has the right to take away Kelly, who is now a head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, take him away for games because of what he did at the college ranks. I don't think the NFL has that right at all. But the fact is they've done it before, so they should do it again if um, the – the crime fits the billing, and they should continue to to have the same punishment anytime this comes up with someone fleeing the college ranks to escape a punishment. If that's the way the NFL is going to do it, they need to do it for everyone. Moving on to our second story that was covered in the, the Casual Heroes podcast last week, the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I think that's a very hot topic around the league. It certainly was last year how the Falcons were going to do. They ultimately ended up going to the NFC Championship game, finally won a playoff game under Matt Ryan and and Mike Smith, uh, something that was they, they was very elusive to them in, in years past. And they have now made four uh, playoff appearances in five seasons, 
five straight winning seasons. You have to remember the Falcons in franchise history before 2009 had never had back-to-back winning seasons. That is something that most fans out there probably don't realize. Now, they've had five straight winning seasons, four playoff appearances in five years. How many other teams in the NFL have made the playoffs four of the last five years? Seriously. I think it's New England, maybe Indianapolis, and they missed it that one year when Peyton Manning was injured and before Andrew Luck got there. Other than that, I can't think of any other teams, even teams like Baltimore, Pittsburgh, they have, I don't think they have even made it four out of five. Maybe Baltimore. I know Pittsburgh has not, but Baltimore might have, may have. Um, so that's a pretty exclusive club. And Atlanta is in that club now. Atlanta has not had the success um, that a Baltimore, a Pittsburgh, a, even a New England has had um, in big games. And that's why they continue to be scrutinized for not being able to win the big game um, not being able to get to the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl. so But there there are already uh, a lot of preview articles up on footballnation.com. Uh, there's uh, one pretty unique one written by Kevin King on the Atlanta Falcons uh, entitled Atlanta Falcons 2013, way too early season predictions. <laughs> already predicting and um, how the seasons are going to go for these teams. And this prediction, this article actually goes game by game and predicts um, the winner for each Falcon game and ultimately uh, King has the Falcons going 12-4 and and finishing in first in the NFC South. I won't go into too much detail about which games they win because I want you to go and check out the article but um, there were a couple games that I that raised my eyebrows um, for um, that, that King had them winning and, and a couple games they had, that he had them losing that I thought maybe they could end up getting a W. But I do think the NFC South is going to be a real tough division this year. Who knows what we're going to get out of the Saints with the return of Sean Payton, Drew Brees, um, re, um, remarried to uh, Sean Payton, uh, re, repaired with him. Uh, I think the Saints are going to be much improved. Um, and, you know, the, the Buccaneers and the Panthers – but we'll see if they continue to make strides to get better. Uh, Cam Newton should be another year mature. And the Buccaneers trading for Darrell Revis, second year under Greg Schiano. Who knows what we, can, what we can get out of them. So that's going to be six tough games for the Atlanta Falcons. And then out of, um, out of the division, they play teams like the Green Bay Packers, uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so there are going to be some tough games for the Falcons. And uh, they also play the New England Patriots. That's an out-of-conference game. But um, ultimately, I, I do see them going in 11-5, 12-4. I think it's too early in the offseason to predict a 13-3 or 14-2, which they have, uh, have, have posted those two records in two of the last three years. Um, so I, I see the Falcons again making the playoffs. And... It's a tough NFC. I think there's a lot of good teams in the NFC. The NFC has clearly returned to be the dominant conference. But as of right now, I see the Falcons advancing to the Super Bowl. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to be my pick on opening day for the Super Bowl, but I guess they're my early offseason pick uh, to go to the Super Bowl, and I I made that on the podcast on um, Casual Heroes. So I, I think Matt Ryan is ready. I think Mike Smith and 
everybody else. They have a veteran presence. They have um, some young guys. Uh, they have a very potent offense, a decent defense, good special teams, just an all-around very good team. And I think this is finally going to be the year they break out and, and win some big games and um, get at least get to the Super Bowl. And ultimately, I think whoever advances from the NFC, even though we saw Baltimore win last year and I would not have uh, picked an AFC team to win, um, it obviously depends on the matchup, but uh, I, I think early on it's it's hard to not pick an NFC team to win the Super Bowl against any AFC team, especially with uh, the changing of the guard seemingly in the AFC with Aaron Hernandez uh, out for this year, and it looks like um, who knows who's playing tight end for for New England. So um, I have the Falcons as of right now advancing to the Super Bowl, and I think the NFC team will win it. So. The Falcons are my very, very early Super Bowl winner for this coming year. Now, that probably means they're not going to win the Super Bowl because I'm never correct. But who knows? We'll see. Maybe I'll uh, finally get one right. We're going to take another quick break. Lady Gaga coming at you, and then we'll come back with the fourth and long segment. Don't go my name. Here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host Dave Holcomb. Once again, you can reach me at my Twitter handle, DMHOLCOMB, or email me, HolcombMDavid at gmail.com. Also, I'm on Facebook. Search Dave's Football News. We'd love uh, to get a comment or just start a discussion about uh, football or even give us uh, something to talk about on next week's show. That'd be great. Moving on to the fourth and long segment, uh, we're going to start out uh, in the AFC North. We talked about the division last week, um, discussing uh, mostly the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, this week, uh, we'll briefly discuss uh, the running back situation for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, a little bit of an issue for them um, last year. Uh, the didn't run the ball in years past. The Steelers have not had as many rushing attempts as uh, you would typically expect um, a Pittsburgh team to have. Um, but the important thing uh, that I think people should note, uh, the, the yards per carry for the Steelers went down quite a bit last year, uh, and, and that was one of the big reasons why rookie LeVon Bell was picked out of Michigan State in the second round. Uh, and Jarvis Jones is getting a lot of attention um, as the linebacker picked by the Steelers in the first round. But uh, it's actually going to be probably Bell who ends up starting, and that's going to be my statement for today. LeVon Bell is the starting running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers on opening day, and I am going to grunt on this one. I'm going to hand it off to Bell on fourth and long, maybe even. <laughs> um, Bell is the runner that I think the Steelers have been looking for since Jerome Bettis retired. I know that's that's a pretty big statement. That's a, a big load for the 20-year-old to, to handle. But um, I, I really think uh, all reports suggest that Bell is a punisher. He is a power runner. And who knows if he'll be as effective as a Bettis. Uh, Bettis, remember, is sixth all-time on uh, the 
NFL's rushing uh, yards total. Um, so we'll see how Bell does um, in his career. But for this season, um, Bell is the man, I think, in the backfield for the Steelers. They have a few other good options. Uh, Jonathan Dwyer, uh, Isaac Redman, um, they signed uh, the, the ex-Cardinal, the Ron Stevens Howling. Um, and, and they also have Byron Batch, who they, they've used uh, sparingly in the past. But they, they, none of those guys really stick out to you as a number one runner. They tried Redmond. They tried Dwyer last year. They had some times where they shined. But those guys are much more effective in a role-playing role. Redmond being maybe a third down back, a, more a power back when Bell is not on it because Bell is going to be a power back. Redmond is kind of a counter to that that power back. And Dwyer um, is kind of, even though he's not a quick or a speedy guy, he, he can provide a kind of a change of pace, um, a, a, a fresh set of legs, um, and a solid backup to, to somebody else. He is not a guy that you really want to carry the ball 200 times a season. So Bell... Whether the Steelers like it or not, he is going to be rushed, I think, into the starting role um, in the running back position in Pittsburgh. And well, the very much, there's a, there's a lot hindering on the Steelers' season, or the Steelers' season hinders on a lot of things, I should say. Um, ben Roethlisberger's health is, is one of the key things, um, along with the health of Troy Palomalo and, and a somewhat aging defense and, and how effective some of the younger guys can get. Um, and how much guys like Jarvis Jones and Jason World starting in his first season, how, how much those guys can acclimate quickly to the system. That is going to be a huge effect on um, the Steelers' season. But reestablishing a running game is going to be really important for the Steelers, and it's going to start with Bell this fall. Moving on to a topic that uh, it was, was a hot topic in the spring. I actually wrote an article about it in uh, early May. Um, but it has resurfaced um, all across the internet and actually was a topic on uh, the other podcast on Football Nation, FN Today by Alex Reamer. Great show. If you haven't listened to it, I definitely recommend it. Um, but uh, Alex talked about the Redskins changing their name. Um, one of the suggestions for the name change would be to Red Tails. Um, but the statement for today, the Redskins should change their name grunting on this one as well. I, I really do think that, uh, and I'm pretty adamant about uh, about this, the name Redskins is quite derogatory to anyone of Indian or Native American, however you want to say it, um, ancestry. So I, I really do feel that it would be in the best interest for the NFL, um, for the Washington Redskins, um, the, the Washington organization, I should say, um, to change this name. And I find it so ironic that the name, one of the most racist, quote-unquote, racist names in the United States, uh, in American sports, is in the nation's capital. Um, how ironic is that? But I, I really do feel that um, this, this is a, a derogatory name, and I, I understand the history. I get it. I get the tradition of the Redskins. Hail to the Redskins. You, I mean, that, that, that song uh, will not be the same with any other nickname. But we cannot have 
these racist names in in today's in today's American society. And and I really do feel that it's not some group being too overly sensitive or too touchy, which I, I do feel is is a common theme in, in America today. Um, groups of people being too sensitive to um, whether whatever it is, whether it's a joke or um, whatever. But this is not a case of oversensitivity. This is a case of flat out just being offended by a nickname. And for, I'm going to go out on a limb here, for, for white people or for people not of Native American ancestry to sit back and say, oh, well, the name is not derogatory. It's actually praising them. No, 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 no couldn't be further from the truth. The name is very derogatory, and I've had Native Americans directly tell me that. And who are you? Who are you to say that the name is not derogatory? Only someone of Native American ancestry can tell you whether it's offensive or not. I can't tell you if it's offensive. I am not Native American. I've been told by other Native Americans that it is offensive, so I take it as that it is offensive and that it is racist. But that's all I'm going to say about that topic. We're going to move on to one more um, for the fourth and long segment. Something that uh, has been a, somewhat of a hot topic for the NFL the last couple of years, actually. Um, and there have been 27 arrests this offseason. The statement too many are there that there are too many arrests in the NFL this this offseason I'm going to slow down and actually punt that away now from from looking at it and and saying there've been 27 arrests and and you know I'm not a huge fan of Roger Goodell so for so that is kind of a, a laughing point for me and saying, well, you know, Goodell, you're doing a really good job with your discipline, 27 arrests, and we're in July. Um, that, that to me, is quite ironic and funny. But um, of all, if you count all the players in the NFL, all the players that are trying, you know, trying out for teams in the NFL, there are actually 27 players that have been arrested only add up to 1% of the players in the league. So for you to really say that too many people are being arrested, there are too many crimes in the NFL, you have to remember NFL players are under the microscope. Whenever an NFL player does something wrong, it's immediately reported. You know, Aaron Hernandez, as horrible as that crime is, would not be nationally televised except that it's Aaron Hernandez. So you have to take that into account. And... Obviously, in a perfect world, we don't want any NFL players getting arrested or having DUIs, DWIs, um, breaking the law, and murdering anyone. Obviously, we don't want those things to happen. But um, I think for someone to immediately jump to the conclusion that there have been too many arrests in the NFL um, would, would, would be wrong. You'd have to really look at the stats and look in between the lines and maybe look at it as a, uh, comparing it to last year. And off the cuff, I do not know how many arrests there were last year at the offseason um, at this point on July 1st. So maybe if it's gone up, 
maybe you would have an argument, but um, I, I would have to look further into that one. But I do think uh, just to say 27 arrests is too many, you're not really looking at, at the the details, the fine lines of um, how the NFL is covered and how uh, it really works. We're going to take one more quick break. We're going with popular music so far in season two. Here's another one from Lady Gaga, and then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. And we're back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host, Dave Holcomb. One last article that I wanted to reference, Seattle Seahawks 2013, five most pressing questions heading into training camp. It's an article written by Rob Goldwarm, one of the top articles on the site um, as of July 1st. Now, there's a lot of uh, great stuff up on the site, um, lots of previews for the teams, um, five questions uh, going into training camp is a common theme, um, a themed article for all the teams. Um, so I encourage you to check out your own team and um, a couple of the other um, high-profile teams, including the Seahawks, who are all of a sudden um, one of the more uh, covered teams in the NFL. That's all we have for today's show. Don't forget to find us on Twitter and Facebook um, and leave a comment on um, our podcast. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, I'm going to try and find some peace in my mind. It's true.